0: If you've come to this prophecy update looking for the date that Jesus is coming back in the rapture, I've got to disappoint you. He hasn't told me. And we don't know the date of his return. But we do know the season because the Bible says we can know the season by the events that are taking place around us. There are many people I contend, hey, you know what? This has happened before. These events have taken place before all of this. They thought that Jesus was returning 100 years ago and 200 years. Everyone thought that Jesus was returning. World War I, World War all of these different things. They thought Jesus was returning at that time, and they were wrong. They were confused. I agree. They were wrong. They were confused. As a matter of fact, the rabbis were confused about who Jesus was. They missed him completely, and they had all the footnotes. They knew who he was and when he was supposed to be coming. But even though they knew, they missed his appearance. And they had the 70-week prophecy of Daniel, just like we have you know, They had Isaiah's writings saying that he was going to be born of a virgin. They knew where he was going to be born. Uh, they knew all of his life. There are 300 Old Testament prophecies that spoke to the coming of the Messiah. And they still missed him. 300 prophecies. And they missed him. So when we consider those things, we have to consider... Are we interpreting or understanding the scriptures the right way? Are we going to miss the coming of the Messiah again? Or are we diligently seeking his word so that we understand when his return is going to be? I mean, that really should be our heart's desire is to know when he's coming. Not the date, but the season that he's coming so that we not only can be prepared, but that we can share with other people. Now, I, I don't mean that we should go out and start scaring people with the fact, oh, Jesus is coming, you better get on board. You know, that that's not the way that we draw people to Christ. See, it's the Holy Spirit, the love of God that draws people to him. It's not fear. If you can make someone afraid enough to repent, then they, when they get tired of waiting, they're going to walk away. You see, it's not about the fear of going to hell. It's about the love of God that draws us into eternity with him. Amen. That should be what our attraction is. That should be how we present the gospel to others. And, and so prophecy is for believers, Prophecy is for Christians. 30% of the Bible is prophecy. Some people say, I don't want to hear prophecy. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know what's going to happen. Well, why did God give us 30% of the Bible to be prophecy if he doesn't want us to know? He wants us to know. Here's why. Because if you know, and then it takes place, then you could say, wow, he knew. And isn't that cool when you get to a point and you can say, God knew this was going to happen and he gave it to us in a book. You see, the rabbis missed it. They're still confused today. They're still waiting on the first coming of the Messiah. And so they're completely confused as to what's going to take place. They, they don't even have a temple where they can hold sacrifices, where they can atone for their sins. So they're having a lot of problems. But we have the Word of God, so we know the truth. The truth can set us free, because we have the truth right here in our laps. And it's available for the whole world. Anyone that wants to hear the Word can hear the Word. All they have to do is open their ears. It's available in many different forms, in many different places. So we can turn to Matthew chapter 24. That'll be where we start today. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is at the temple. He's with his disciples at the temple. And his apostles want to show off the temple. And they want to show him the buildings that are in it. They say, come on, you want to see all the buildings of the temple? And, and Jesus said to them, see all these stones? Not one of them are going to be standing upon another. And they're like, well, when will this happen? And he didn't really go into great detail at that point. But the truth is that in 70 AD, it happened. You see, Titus came in and he invaded um, the, the Jerusalem. And he came and he accidentally burned down the temple. A fire started. And it burned the temple. And because uh, the, the dome in the temple, it was gold, it melted. And as all that gold melted, it got in between the stones of the temple. And the only way to get the gold out was to take the stones down and separate them. And that's what they did. They took every stone and they pushed them off the temple mount to get to all the gold. And so the prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD that one stone would not be standing upon another. You can go there today and see all the stones that are just off the Temple Mount, out there in this wash, out there still to this day. They're there. So we have Matthew chapter 24, Jesus telling us what to look forward to. And he gave us the whole picture. He, he gave us the picture from from that time, from 70 A.D. all the way to today and then into the future, into the tribulation period. He gave us a picture. But if we turn to chapter uh, to verse 32, Jesus says, Now learn the parable of the fig tree when its branches are already become tender and put forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when... You see all these things, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Hosea 9.10 talks about Israel being the first fruits, Okay, the fathers being the first fruits of Israel, of the fig tree. Okay, so that's where we get the relationship of the fig tree being Israel, Hosea 9.10. So when we consider that, we see the the picture of the branches coming back to life and putting forth leaves. And now you know summer's near because it's coming back to life. It's the springtime and summer is getting close. And then he says, so you... Also, when you see all these things, when you see all these things, who's he talking to? He's talking to the apostles and the disciples that were there at the Temple Mount. They're not going to see these things. They were already living in Israel. Everything was there, so it didn't make sense to them, but he wasn't talking to them. He was talking to us. If any of you were born before 1948, he was talking specifically to your generation. You see, he says, when you see all of these things, know that this is the sign of the last generation. Not one more generation will pass. So now we can see that these things took place on May 14, 1948. The Brits left Israel. And Israel became a nation on that day. There was an agreement signed that Israel would get this part of the land and Palestine would get this part of the land. And then they would split Jerusalem right down the middle. And Israel said, okay, we're, we're game. Well, where do I sign? And they took their land. The Palestinians said, no, we're not going to do that. We want it all. And they didn't sign the agreement. They didn't take the land. The day after Israel became a nation, they were attacked by all of the countries around them. And for nine months they held off and were able to fight back the enemy. For nine months and finally in January of 1949 the war ended. It didn't really end because it's going on today, but it stopped and Israel had their country and they were a nation, once again, Unsurmountable odds against them. All of these armies that were coming against them and they were able to stand. Boy, I want to be Jewish and be able to fight like that, you know? That was God. It's the hand of God on their nation. It was the plan from the beginning. Jesus said in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We're at the doors here of this taking place, and we don't know the day that it's going to happen. But in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 4, we read, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to the pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. That's what we're seeing today. Okay? These are the very things that People come and say that I am the Christ. I went online and I said, who said that they're the Christ? <laughs> <laughs> I got the top ten. And I went and I looked at the top ten, reading up, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. There are people following these people that are the top ten people that said that they are the Christ. And they have followers all over the place. And, and, and it's just like, Really? What Bible are you reading that you're that deceived but Jesus said that that's what's going to happen and we're going to have wars and rumors of wars I I don't think I have to go in depth on that famines there are many famines going on throughout the world and right now there's a famine on all those that are affected by war because all of those refugees that are running away from the war they're starving They can't grow food, they can't buy food, they have no money, they have no income. And and so it's only through organizations that go over there and feed them that they're being fed. So there are famines, and there are earthquakes in many places. That's, um, in, in the King James Version, it says there are earthquakes in diverse places. Okay, that's many and unusual places. Okay, And that's what we're seeing today also. Earthquakes taking place in many places that didn't have earthquakes before. And now the places that do have earthquakes, they're on the rise. And so um, I think it was in 2000, uh, well, in the year 2000, there were 22,000 earthquakes registered. In the year 2008, there were 33,000 earthquakes registered. I haven't looked recently at what the numbers are, but they're exponentially going up. And um, and that's just a sign of the times that we're living in. Many will be delivered up for the name of Christ. We're seeing that too. When you see terrorism at a Christian church, you know, that... People are being killed in churches. That's for the name of Christ. Okay, how come we're not seeing that in Mormon churches, or in Jehovah Witness churches, or in the, it's in Christian churches that we're seeing this take place? And uh, it is just persecution. It's for the name of Christ that these things are taking place. But we know that we can't put a date. On when Jesus is going to return. But we know that when we see all of these things, we can know that it's near. And I believe it's very near. It can happen at any time. There's nothing, there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled at this point, up and you know, and, and for him to return. It was in nineteen forty-eight that that last prophecy that needed to be fulfilled was fulfilled, and that's when Israel became a nation. But beyond that, there's nothing else. So the word of God has been delivered to the ends of the earth. TV, radio, internet, it's out there. And people say, well, these people that are in the jungle. They have TVs. I've seen it. And, and they have generators and they have TVs and they have satellite and they have radio and they have the internet. Even out in the middle of the jungles they have these things. They've got the word. And if they don't, there are missionaries out there. Craziness. I wouldn't go out there. You know, but there are missionaries that God sent to those places to minister. I, I just read today that another guy is stepping down, a senior pastor that's in Oklahoma, just felt the call from God to go to the Ivory Coast in Africa, and he's going to go. He's in Oklahoma, going to Africa. You know, it's kind of like when I moved from Queens, New York, to Arizona, (laughs) you know. It it was like, uh, I didn't fit in, you know. And and so he's going to stand out a little bit, but that'll make the word of God even more obvious. To the people there and so he's being used by God um, and, and God has not called me to Africa or anywhere else I'm going to be sticking around um, of course tomorrow he may tell me when I'm supposed to go there are hundreds of last days prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled hundreds of last days prophecies that we're waiting to see fulfilled many of them we won't see fulfilled because the rapture is coming you see, I believe that's one of the most um, evident prophecies that we, as the church, will be able to witness the rapture. It'll be the last prophecy that we'll be able to witness from here on earth. So, one prophecy that is primary to the last days is Isaiah 66.8, telling us of the birth of the nation of Israel. Isaiah wrote, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. The birth of Israel happened in one day. Who has seen such things? And there it is in scripture, talked about by Isaiah. It's going to happen, and it did. May 14th, 1948, the first time in over 2,000 years that Israel was a nation. And in Amos 9, 14, and 15, we're told that Israel will be brought back into their land, and they're going to produce fruit. God said through Amos, I will bring back the captives, my People Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. It was also prophesied in Isaiah 27 6, where Isaiah said, Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. So Israel not only raises food for themselves, but then they're going to be an exporter of fruit. They're going to provide fruit for the world. And 50% of the fruit grown in Israel is sold in Europe now. It's just amazing when you go over there and see all of this. Why can't we do this in Arizona? They're doing it there, and it's just about the same climate. And uh, there they are doing amazing things uh, with the land they've been given. It's also confirmed in Isaiah 51.3 that we're told, the deserts of Israel will be turned into the Garden of Eden. You know, and... When you go on a trip there, and you're you're driving, and there's many places that you'll go through that's just desert and stuff like that, and then there are just trees everywhere, and then then there are these plantations of fruit, and, and, and they are in the weirdest places, up on the side of hills, and you'll have all of this stuff growing. And it's just amazing seeing what they've been able to do. They not only grow fruit, but they planted trees. Before they became a nation, they started planting trees. In the last hundred years, they've planted 200 million trees. So when you say it's like the Garden of Eden, there are places that are very much like the Garden of Eden. They're very lush, and it's very beautiful to see what God has restored there. They're not only, they are not only are doing that, the technologies that they are developing there, God has given them such wisdom to be able to do things that nobody else is doing. They take brackish water that just won't grow anything and they've learned how to turn it into irrigation water and they're growing stuff like crazy there. And not only stuff, they're growing good stuff, top quality fruits and vegetables and stuff from this water and they're exporting the technology to other countries. So that other countries can use the technologies that they have, it's just amazing how God is blessing. Amos has prophesied that um, they will no longer be pulled up from the land God has given them. They're not going to be taken out of the land again, and they're going to be. Although many enemies want them to be taken up out of the land, the Bible tells us that it's not going to happen. They're not fighting against the Jews. They're fighting against God. And I think they're going to lose. I know they're going to lose because I have the rest of the story. So I know what's going to take place. But they don't know. They don't even know. Because they don't follow our Bible. And they live day to day. Many of the Jews there are atheists or agnostic at best. And they just don't believe because their eyes haven't been opened yet. But they will be. They're going to be opened again. In Ezekiel 36.11, we read of a prophecy where the nation would prosper like never before. And that's what we're seeing now. They're prospering. They're doing great. And they're coming up with stuff that nobody else is coming up with. It's just amazing how God has blessed them. So in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 Daniel is told but you Daniel shut up the words and seal this book until the end time. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So the book of Daniel was shut up for a period of time. Until what time? Until we can understand it. You see A few hundred years ago, it would be hard to understand what Daniel was writing, what Daniel had talked about, because it were things that weren't even in existence, things that didn't make sense to us, you know. But now, as we get closer to the end, it's clear what Daniel was writing about. It makes sense to us now because we can see the bigger picture. Revelation makes sense because of Daniel, they're tied together. And we can see what God is doing and is going to do based on those two books. As we go through our study in Revelation, we refer back to Daniel quite often because Daniel is the key to Revelation, explaining to us what we should expect to see and the things that are happening in the world around us. And so here he says that people are going to be running to and fro. isn't that uh, the truth? Because you, we can travel around the whole world in you know just over a day. You could do it under a day if you're on the Concorde. I mean, it's you know it's not around anymore, but you can do it if you have a plane quick enough. You can make the whole trip in a day, and people are running to and fro. You can go from here to the other side of the world and in you know 18 grueling hours, but. You know, it it wasn't possible back then in, in those days. They traveled 20 miles a day. And so here, when you consider what Daniel would be saying, people are running to and fro, and knowledge would increase. Knowledge increases. Well, knowledge started increasing, you know, a couple of centuries ago. And you know we have amazing inventions and so on and so forth. But now it's increasing at such a rate that they're saying our information, our knowledge, is doubling every year and a half to two years. It's just an incredible pace at which knowledge is increasing. And so when you consider that now knowledge isn't necessarily a good thing, you know. Because I can go on the internet and I can do a search and find just useless information. I mean, I can find ten understandings of what these scriptures say. And nine of them would be wrong. And maybe one would be right. So how do I know I've got the right understanding of what these scriptures are saying? Because I'm not trying to read something into the scriptures I'm taking them at face value. I believe the scriptures are literal. We need to be, God isn't going to give us something that we can't understand. He's not going to give us something that means something else. And if we're reading it, it's not going to contradict something else that God gave us. So we can look at the Word of God and be sure that what He has told us is accurate. The literal word of God is true. And the first thing we do is take it literally. Now, if it talks about the wings of God, now we can say, okay, that's not literal because we know God doesn't have wings. You know, He's a spirit. So he doesn't have wings per se, but we understand the metaphor. We understand what the author is trying to say through the scriptures. And so there are some things we can take as metaphor. There are some things that are poetry, But there are some things that are very literal. And this is part of the scriptures that are very literal. Just because we don't understand them doesn't mean that it's not the truth and it's not literal. They didn't understand this back then. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, Ezekiel writes about a country from the north coming down and attacking Israel. Okay, back when he wrote this 600 years BC there was no country in the north okay there were just a bunch of cave dwellers up there and so it would be like saying you know it, you know dunk canada came down for those canadians that are here no offense but <laughs> you know come down and attack new york city it you know you don't expect that to happen you know, you couldn't see that ever happening, attacking New York City. You know, even New Jersey attacking New York City, they're going to lose. I mean, because in, in New York, there's just such a population of people that you can't, that's the way Jerusalem was. It was the epicenter of the world. And so saying that Gog or Magog coming down from, from there, that's a bunch of cave dwellers up there. You know, and they're going to come down and they're going to attack Jerusalem? I don't think so. But that's exactly what Ezekiel was told by God. And so he wrote it and said, here, this is what's going to happen. And it didn't make sense for thousands of years. But now it does. Now it makes perfect sense. So he mentions Gog in chapter 38 of his book. But this is not an enemy of Israel. Magog was not an enemy of Israel. Okay, Magog was in the, he was the descendant of Japheth. He was in Genesis chapter 10 and 1 Chronicles chapter um, 1. He was mentioned, Magog. So the area that is mentioned is now a, a city up in that region, in the northern areas. And that's probably in the region of Moscow in that area. Although the name is very simi- uh, similar it doesn't cross over perfectly to where that would be Moscow. But the region is because that's where Gog and Magog were in that region, okay? And so if that's where uh, Magog is is located, it's kind of like, Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where is their country? Well, everyone knows where their country is. And that's why um, there are are some scriptures that talk about Jacob. Well, uh, the land of Jacob. And that's where you understand what he's talking about. So here's what Ezekiel prophesies. We're in Ezekiel chapter 38, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4. He says, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, the great army with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now, I just want you to get the picture. Russia does have the largest horseback army in the world, larger than every other horseback army in the world combined. Does it make sense for them to attack Israel on horses? Absolutely. See, horses are going to be a lot harder to lock onto with the missile systems that Israel has. You know, aircraft are really great against objects like tanks and stuff like that, but against horses, not so much. Okay, but do I think it's horses? No, I think what it's talking about is military, uh, ground troops, Okay, And they have swords, which are weapons. They're they're just handheld weapons. So there's going to be a large army that's going to be forming and going into Israel. Then uh, it says in verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomera, from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. This is a picture of today. Israel, all the Jews came from all of the other countries and came back into their land. And there are still many, many thousands pouring in every year into Israel, being repatriated into Israel. So, after many days, in the latter years, it says, you will come into the land brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which has long been desolate. And they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. And you will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. I go back to verse 4 where it says, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaw. There's something that's going to draw Russia into Israel. First of all, when I first started studying this scripture 15, 20 years ago, I thought, how are they going to get there? How are they going to work their way down into Israel and, and and come in and attack Israel? Well, first of all, it says that they're going to come with all these other countries around them. And those other countries, they've already now, see, 20 years ago, they weren't friends with Turkey. They didn't have relationships with the countries that are now having relationships. Just this week, Turkey now signed an agreement with Sudan. And they're working together. Sudan is Ethiopia. That's the region that Sudan is in. So now, all of these relationships, Iran, Iran and Russia never got along. Now they're like best buddies. They're all working hand in hand. And Russia so conveniently positioned itself in Syria, right next door to Israel. What a coincidence. No, what a God incidence. See, God already told us all that was going to happen. Oh, we didn't have the details that Russia was going to come down through Syria, but we had the details that Russia was going to invade Israel. And so they had to position themselves somehow, and now they're there. And just a couple of weeks ago, Putin said, um, you know, we're pulling out. We're, we're, we're leaving. We're taking all our troops. We're going home, okay? It's all over. We're all done here. So in two years, we're going to be taking our troops and we're going, two years! They're going to take their troops and they're going to go home. Is the rapture happening before two years? Don't know. But that's a, a coincidence in how he said two years This is going to take place. I'm not doing this to scare anyone, but we should always be prepared. If he leaves in two years, then it's like, okay, God has moved the timeline again. So I'm not setting a timeline, but I I am telling us that we're in a season. We're in the last day season. These are the things that we're supposed to be looking for. And um, this is obvious that Russia is there in a place. Now, it says that he's going to put hooks in their jaws and draw them in. I believe the thing that's drawing Russia in is oil. My opinion. I didn't read about it in the Bible. Billy Graham didn't call me and tell me. I think that this is the hook in the jaw that's going to draw, because Russia needs oil. And Israel is now... In charge of the largest amount of oil, more oil than Saudi Arabia has, are now in the areas of Israel, off the Mediterranean, in the Mediterranean, off the coast. And then also a newly found uh, repository of oil is in the Golan Heights. Now, when I mention the Golan Heights, that should make you wonder, because the Golan Heights is not part of Israel as far as the UN is concerned. The Golan Heights is part of Syria. So if Russia says, hey, Syria, we'll just go and we'll take back your oil for you. We'll take back the Golan Heights and you just give us 50% of everything that comes out of the ground and we're good to go and we'll do that for you. That sounds like a hook in the jaw, that sounds like something that draws them in because they need the oil, and this is a good way for them to get it, and it makes perfect sense. And they know that the UN won't fight with them about it because that land doesn't belong to Israel; it's disputed territory. It, it's you know, it, it as far as the UN is concerned, it it is owned by Syria. So, that's just my opinion. So, we're we're. we're just throwing it out there. So in the latter years, the armies will attack, being led by Gog, the ruler of Magog, which appears to be Russia. In verse 15, it says, then you will come from your place out of the far north, which implies Russia, the far north. So This large army attacks Israel, but God defends them. In verse 22, it says, And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him and his troops, and on the many peoples who are with them, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. This great army is being prepared right now. They're, they're building up right now. They're in Syria, and they're close enough where you can see them from Israel. They're ready to cross at any time. Another indication that we're in the last days is Jerusalem itself. In Zechariah 12, 2, we're told, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in the day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Jerusalem is gonna cause the people to be irrational like drunken people just to to do irrational things and they are going to try to come against Israel and Jerusalem and you know I, I believe that this is um, inspired uh, possibly by um, you know a president that said you know I believe that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and there are other peoples that agree and they're considering moving the embassies there and I believe that that's the hand of God. The hand of God can use anyone. The voice of God can speak to anyone. The voice of God can use a donkey to speak to a person. The voice of God can speak to anyone, he he can use people that are not believers to do his will. So keep that in mind as we're going through all of this. It isn't that everyone that is doing things for the Lord happens to be Christians, it just so happens that they're following the plan of God. And the reason why it seems like God is doing these things specifically, is because he knows the rest of the story. He's just telling us what it is. And he already knew this was going to take place, so he's writing it for us so that we know too. Finally, if we consider what Revelation says about the tribulation period, we can see all of that falling into place too. There's going to be a one-world government and we see the UN positioning themselves to be that one world government. We also see that there's going to be a one world religion. Everybody, run out and get your coexist bumper stickers because we're going to have a one world religion. That coexist bumper sticker started off this big, and then they, they keep adding things uh, to to it. Now soon you're going to need a magnifying glass to see all the different things that they're putting on this bumper sticker. You know and, and The thing is, is that you have a Christian symbol on there, but they don't want to coexist with Christians. As long as Christians can agree with them and support their gods, or lack of them, um, then we can all get along. And that's what they're doing. They're dumbing down our relationship with God. They're taking away our relationship with God and replacing it with secularism. And we're going to have a secular God. Uh, we, we have many of them right now, but they're all going to be melded into one. Then there's going to be a mark that nobody can buy or sell without the mark. We read that later on in Revelation. That's not going to happen before the rapture, I don't believe. And um, so the sign of the mark 50 years ago would be almost impossible. Um, to have happened, you know, 100 years ago. Everybody thought the UPC codes, you know, <laughs> on the packages was gonna be the mark. We were all gonna be walking around with the UPC's <laughs> code, you know. Can you, can you uh, scan? <sighs> uh, must be out of money. Uh, so the thing is, is that nowadays it could be something that isn't invisible, you know? A- and we have the technology now. To link all of it together, every single human with a code that will be able to keep track of what they have and their finances, their health records and everything. Boy, it'd be great. You just go to the hospital, they scan you, and they know everything about you. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It sounds good for a lot of people. They think that that's the greatest thing in the world, and they're buying into it. And there are many things that there's actually a gentleman in um, California that went and had an operation um, November 13th. He had um, thousands, um, tens of thousands of edited DNA injected into his body. This is in US News and World Report. And what they're trying to do is cure illness, he has a terminal disease, they're trying to cure illnesses by editing DNA and then entering it into a body, having a trigger that will cause that DNA to impact the body and then, um, and then cure um, the, the disease and there's a human, a 44-year-old man named Kevin in um, California. I don't remember all the details. I, I just read the article yesterday. And um, and he's still going, you know, but they're, they're not going to know the results for a few months, and uh, then we'll probably hear more about this. But if they're doing it to humans right now in, in, at 44 years old, they'll start to do it to children so that... They can manipulate, you know, who's born, when they're born, how they're born. And um it's scary, you know, to, to see that these things are taking place in our world. But it also tells me not to be afraid, look up, because our redemption is near. Amen. We're we're right at the, the end. And um these things aren't gonna happen. Do you know why one of the reasons the flood happened on the earth? It was because of the angels that left their abode, Jude 6, they came down and they had children with the natu- with the women that were here on earth. And they had children with them and they infected the gene pool. It was the way the enemy wanted to try to infect the gene pool so Jesus could never be born because the gene pool would have been so infected with this other world DNA. And that's one of the reasons because uh, in, in um, Genesis chapter six we read that, um, that Noah was pure in his generations. Uh, it, 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 he was perfect. It doesn't mean that he was a perfect man. He lived without sin. What it means is that he wasn't corrupted by the, the DNA from the other world demons that were infecting the population, and so he wiped it out. And so now we know that there's things that we don't see going on behind the scene that are just um, they're, they're happening all around us, and they're going quicker and quicker. It's, it's happening furiously fast. And you can watch the news, but you're only being told this much. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. But what I am saying is that there's a lot of stuff going on that we don't know about, and I'm going to tell you personally, I don't care. Because what I care about is the truth and what God is doing. It's better to know what God has planned than what the world has planned. Because I don't want to be part of their plan. I want to be part of God's plan. And so that's the most important thing to me, is knowing what God has planned. The most important thing is not setting dates for the return of Christ. The most important thing is to be prepared for his return when he comes. That's the most important thing. We, we can't be so focused on what day he's coming back that we get deceived. We need to consider where our walk is today with the Lord. We need to consider every day. Where our walk is with the Lord. Are we living with the knowledge of everything we've learned but not living our lives for him? There is a lot of people that consider themselves Christians because of the knowledge that they have of God. They have knowledge, but they don't apply it to their lives. Yes, I know all these things are going to happen, but I'm going to live like I'm going to hell. Well, you are. Because if you live for yourself or for anyone else in this world and not for the Lord, that's our destination. That's not because I said so. It's the Bible. If you want to take a chance with that, you go right ahead. But I'm going to stay true to what the Word says. God used many people in the past to accomplish his purposes. He used people that did not believe in him. Cyrus. You know, didn't know anything about the Lord, but you know, he, his name was in the Bible. God said, "I'm going to use him," and God used Cyrus. God used Balaam, who was a non-Israeli um, um, prophet, and he actually had the word of God with him, and he was known as a prophet. And then he told the enemies of God how to defeat. God. because he said't I can't, I can't help myself all I do is speak what God wants me to speak and and you know so you can't make me but he was being paid you know to, to um, you know deceive the Israelis and he couldn't do it. So instead he told them how to defeat them and so he betrayed his purpose and there are many people like that. The purpose, uh, the person who shared the Lord with me is not walking with the Lord today. She shared the Lord with me, and I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And she walked away. Now, she didn't say a prayer with me, and I said the prayer. She just gave me the information, and then I went alone and sat with the Lord and said, Is this true? And he said, Oh yeah. And I said, I believe. And she's not walking with him today. I don't understand that. But that's God. God wanted to get to me. And so he used her to get to me. God wants to use you to get to others. Judas walked with Jesus. And he betrayed him. Matthew 7.21 Jesus says not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven many will say to me in that day Lord, Lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name they're not getting in because they they were just going through the motions we can't go through the motions anymore We have to make a commitment to what we're going to be doing with our lives. It's not what we know, it's our relationship with Him. And if we're not willing to walk with Him daily, then how are we ever going to expect to live with Him eternally? The new year brings about resolutions. Resolutions are great for a day. Most of mine don't last that long. You see, a resolution is something that we say, I resolve to do this. We cannot live our Christian lives like that. I resolve from this day, I'm going to go forward and do this. I resolve this day, I'm going to go forward and then tomorrow I'm going to resolve again and the next day and the next day. We have to resolve every day for the Lord because we blew it the day before. And we're not perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. But he wants us to live for him every day. It's, it's our decision, it's our choice what we want to do but in the days that we're living in right now it doesn't make any sense to walk any other way in this world because he can come at any time we don't know and so as we're all believers here in this place today there were many believers that weren't walking with the Lord in their hearts but they were walking with the Lord In their lives. And so, as we consider that, where do we stand today? Close your eyes.